0: You are listening to the Entrust podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. Tonight as you came in, you started talking about this question, who is a leader who impacted you and why? And a lot of times when we think about a leader that has impacted us, It's not always the typical people you think you're going to find, you know? A lot of times people who think about a leader, they think of somebody who holds this position or does this type of thing, and yet a lot of times some of the leaders that we may have thought of have been somebody that was a little bit simpler, if that makes sense. Sometimes it's not a person who even acted like they were a leader. They just were, right? They made an influence on you. Tonight, uh, as we start, one of the things that we're going to do, uh, is Lane started us off with just asking that question. Just as we're wrapping up a service every week at 5 o'clock, I want you guys to start at 6.15. So there's going to be kind of a question that will start off at 6.15, around the table, getting our heads around it. And then uh, as, as soon as I get down here, just to jump in with this thought. But as we go, we're going to be talking uh, for this summer at, about servant leadership and what that looks like. And um, I want to give you kind of a little heads up just because this is kind of our summer course in Entrust. And just a reminder, when it comes to Entrust, there are people who are taking this course and are getting actually seminary level credit for it. Some of you are like, I'm here. Am I getting seminary level credit for it? Well, if you sign up for it, you are. Uh, But if not, uh, we're at least going to get the information together. Uh, But I also want to give you kind of a schedule that's not on your handout, just so that you're aware of what's going to happen the next few weeks. Because we're starting here today, uh, but we also have a few kind of random off weeks due to holidays that we'll um, not be gathering. Somebody asked me recently, they said, well, I don't always hear if Entrust is happening. Entrust is going to happen every Sunday night unless there's some type of holiday, something going on, okay? Uh, and, I, and so here's what we got. Next week is Mother's Day. Um, so do we have the 5 o'clock service next week, yes or no? Yes, we do. Five o'clock worship service, we have. It's Mother's Day, but we're going to have worship service. We won't have in trust, though, on Mother's Day or Father's Day, okay? Even though we have the five o'clock service. So I say this just as a reminder, because even folks who have been in this church a long time go, Oh, I was visiting family on Mother's Day, and I thought about, I just watched the service online. It's always better at five o'clock than it is watching it on your telephone. Just saying, okay? So so join us at five o'clock. We will have worship on Mother's Day and Father's Day, but we will not have in trust Also, the Sunday before Memorial Day, the 28th, we're gonna have a Waypoint gathering, which is just a way that we celebrate what's happening in our ministry. Weather permitting, we're gonna have it outside permitting that somebody needs to be baptized, we're going to have outdoor baptisms, we're going to have some celebration stuff, we're going to have some games going on outside and some fellowship and some free food and all that kind of fun stuff. So that's are those three weeks, so Mother's Day, Waypoint the 28th, and then June 18th, Father's Day, we'll not have class, but from May 7th to July 16th, we're going to be doing this leadership deal, and for the first time ever since I've been teaching these courses, y'all ready for something crazy? All the outlines are done. Like, okay, so if something happens to me and I just go missing, we got it ready. Somebody's going to come up and pick the baton up and finish this thing and ready to go. But I'm excited about teaching all this uh, to you guys. And, And the reason why I am excited about this is because the world is really obsessed with leadership. But I don't think you can figure out leadership apart from the Bible. So what I want to promise you here is that we're not going to take... Uh, business kind of thought and baptize it right okay like kind of like let's say what the world talks about leadership and try to make it spiritual now we're gonna look at what the Bible actually teaches on this issue and really get down to what does it mean especially and we've got to start here this is why I want this to be the first week leading with this word that people don't really typically think about in leadership it's leading with what humility Humility, right that seems foreign right because most of the world leaders don't exactly uh, portray humility, is that fair? A lot of times the opposite is seen in leaders. It's not humility, but it is what? It's pride, right? It is defiant, rebellious, I'm better than you. That's kind of what distinguishes The world characterizes leaders as those who have achieved so much that others serve them, right? That's the goal, right? But the word surprisingly teaches that the best leaders are the humblest of servants. Humility distinguishes authentic leadership. So while the world thinks about if you're somebody important, you have people serving you, Jesus is the ultimate paradigm shifter, right? He says the world may say leadership is having people who serve you, but his leadership is a type of leader who actually serves others. That you use whatever type of platforms that the Lord provides in your life, not so that others wait on you hand and foot, but you use that leadership as influence with which to inspire and change their lives. That the word of the Bible teaches us, the best leaders are the humblest of servants. Uh, we, we see, obviously, as we're going to look in the life of Jesus, as somebody who uh, says in Philippians chapter 2, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Jesus left heaven to come to this earth. Okay? You might have left North Carolina and come to South Carolina, and you may think one is better than the other, but I guarantee this no one has ever humbled themselves so much to leave heaven to come down to earth, and then to come to earth to go to a cross of which he did not deserve. There is the greatest leader who also was the humblest of people this world has ever seen. But not only Jesus, uh, we see John the Baptist, who said this way speaking of Jesus, he must increase, and I must what? decrease. I, I gotta go away. He's gotta be lifted up. I, I love the fact of uh, Numbers chapter twelve, verse three it says of Moses who we've been studying for a little while. In Numbers chapter twelve verse three it says And Moses was the most humble man in the whole face of the earth. And I think it's a funny verse because most people think Moses wrote Numbers. Think about that for a second. Can you write, I'm the most humble man in the earth? If it's true, is it? Uh, okay, wait. And so, in fact, in your Bible, most likely the translation puts that verse in parentheses because they think somebody had to add that later, right? Okay. But throughout, even the Old Testament, you see kings like David, and yet some of the most triumphant moments that he has was when he took off his kingly robes and just became like an average worshiper. It's Humility. And that is something that is distinguishes authentic leadership. And so you, you kind of, uh, let's look at the problem here for a little bit. Why is that such a foreign concept for us? Because if we think of leadership, there is a type of personality that we typically assume is going to be a leader. We discover prideful leaders with massive platforms and loud agendas in every sphere of life, right? Have you ever worked for a boss who wanted to make sure you knew he was the boss or she was the boss? Anybody? Okay? Yeah. There, there, there's sometimes people who just, they have a position and they want to make sure you know that they've got the position. And they are going to make sure that you know that they've got more degrees than you've got and they've got more experience than you've got and they make more money than you've got, whatever. We discover prideful leaders With massive platforms, whatever they've been in their life, they have a platform that they are elevated above other people and loud agendas. They don't mind. They're not quiet about it. They're going to be defiant and say, I'm in charge and everybody else needs to follow me. And I say this in every sphere of life because you probably have seen this in a workplace, right? Okay, Have you ever seen this in a school environment? Probably you'd say, yeah. You ever seen it on a team that you worked on, right? I mean, like, goodness gracious, athletics is the place where... I mean, like, sometimes you watch certain things. uh, Right now, NBA uh, playoffs, the only problem with this is I love teams on the West Coast. And that West Coast time is killing me, y'all, okay? Uh, All all this stuff, having games going at 12, one o'clock at night, I can't handle it. But you see sports, and it is a just... It's an environment to boast, right? To, to prove that you're better than anybody. There, there's fear of life. So we've got athletics, we've got work, we've got home life. Can you even see pride in a church? You ever seen a prideful leader devastate a church situation? Everywhere, right? Churches that rise quick and fall just as quick. Prideful leaders. Small churches, big churches, everything in between and we can find people in every sphere of life. And so what takes place is, our cultural systems encourage the mindset that to be a leader, a few things have got to happen. One must promote oneself as the hero, demean the competition as the problem, and overlook a team as unnecessary contributors. So think about it this way. Our cultural systems encourage the mindset that if you're the leader, three things have got to take place. You got to promote yourself as the hero, right? You know, this company was never aware until I got around. You know, I'm the one who came up with this. You know, I'm the one who said that. Look, look, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at all that I have done. You're the hero. But also, you got to demean the competition as the problem. One of the, the things that's so crazy to me, this, this bothers me beyond whatever, um, when, when the church growth movement was happening very rapidly, uh, and I'd say about 15 years ago, probably at the height of a certain thing that happened, a lot of churches grew from nothing to a really big big platform. And let me tell you how those churches grew. The message continually from the pulpit and the advertisement sounded something like this We're not your grandmama's church. Right? And oftentimes, how would they promote their church? You know, your pastor, when you grew up, used to do it this way, but I do it this way. You know? He felt like he had to dress like that, but I dress like this. Their worship music is like that, but our worship is like this. And it is you're building your church by demeaning other churches that makes a lot of kingdom sense doesn't it right okay let, let, let and what all of that sort of was just transfer growth was happening we go we're reaching a lot of people now you're just stealing sheep from the flock next door that's all you're doing right That's all that was taking place and so a lot of times you can actually demean competition as the problem and uh how often right um Goodness gracious, is anybody ready for another political cycle next year? Am I excited about another presidential election? Right? Go ahead and get your medication out right now. Okay, like I'm going to tell you. Um, And how often do you hear a politician not say what they're going to do to fix it or the ideas that could possibly bring something together? What do they do? My opponent is an idiot. Okay? They're going to leave. They never provide answers, they only talk about. The problems that the other person is doing. And then uh, a a leader a lot of times overlooks the team as unnecessary contributors in any situation at home, workplace, team, uh, church, ministry, civic organization. If you have a hard time saying this was a team effort, you got a private problem, right? Um, There are certain times where I have seen and even caught myself just wanting to almost take credit for what the group has done. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is something, and so, the type of leaders that I wanna follow are the ones that you go, you had more to do that, than that, you're letting on, but you keep deflecting and telling other people's contributions. So-and-so did this great, by the way, I wanna tell, like, but here in our culture concept, that's exactly the opposite of what you should do. So these leaders almost set themselves up as, if you're gonna succeed in life, you got to rely on me. I am the only answer to your problem, right, okay? And here's what I realized, is that true leaders inspire you to make attempts, not just marvel at their accomplishments. A leader should motivate you, mobilize you, inspire you to follow along, not just wow, look at that one go. <laughs> look at her, look at him. I'll never be able to do like that. I'm dependent upon that person. That's not exactly what I think we probably need to do. The true leaders will inspire you to make attempts, not just marvel at their personal accomplishments. Uh, there's theologian John Stott, which I think is a wonderful quote for us to at least consider here tonight. It says, the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but what? Love. Not force, but what? By example, not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Let me just stop there for a second. Not coercing you, forcing you to do something, but persuading you. Hey, reasonable, let me just let you see this thing, right? Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. You find somebody who thinks that there are certain tasks or beneath them, you've got a leadership problem. And it's going to filter through every single thing. He goes, look, leaders do have power, but that power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. So I want you to turn to the ultimate example in John chapter 13. Hopefully you got your Bible. Um... And I want to read uh, this passage of Scripture that I think is so key for what leadership looks like. Uh, Jesus is on the eve of arrest and crucifixion. You go to John chapter 13, and um, basically it is before the Passover festival, and what happens in, G- in John 13 through 17, all right, John's got 21 chapters in it. you ready for this? Chapters 13 through 17 all happens over one meal. Whole life, John 1 through 21. Chapters 13 through 17 is one meal. He sits down with his disciples last night together and he goes, I got some stuff I need to share with y'all and y'all might want to get a notepad out. You might want to write this down. Will you tell us again? No, this is is it. This is the last Bible study, last devo I'm going to give you guys. Y'all might want to pay attention. Oh, you'll, you'll be fine. I'm really telling y'all, listen up. This is important. So before he speaks about the way to the Father, about that he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father through him. Before he says that he is the, the vine and we are the branches and apart from him you can do anything. But before he says that Uh, if you're my disciple, you'll have love for one another. Before he says, uh, if you bear fruit, you prove to be my disciples. Before he says, i prayed that the church would be one. Before he says any of that, he washes some feet, humbles himself, wraps a towel around himself, and washes feet. Look in John 13, uh, verse 1. It says, before the Passover festival... Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Just stop there for a second. Did you catch what Jesus said? He knew that his hour had what? His hour had come and that he knew his time on this earth was about to end and he had finished what he was supposed to do. At least with the disciples, he loved them to the end. What a phrase, right? He loved them to the end. Very last little bit of it. But I want you to understand that the leadership of what he's about to do starts right here. That Jesus understood the frailty of humanity and knowing that all lives on this earth have an expiration date. Right? All lives. We will not live forever on this earth. There is an end date for us now. Some of you have got a date marked on the calendar when you think Jesus is coming back. By the way, if you've done that, he's definitely not coming back that day. But you're thinking it's coming closer, and I'm with you, okay, it is closer. Will it happen in my lifetime? I don't know. I got plans for the next few weeks, but if he decides to interrupt him, I will not argue with him. He can come back whenever he wants to, okay? With or without my permission, with or without my thought, he can come back when he's ready. But something's gonna happen. I'm either gonna die, At 41 or 120 or something in between, I'm going to die and see him or he's going to come back and I'm going to see him. That's going to happen, okay? Jesus said he knew his time was coming to an end. And I think that's important for us to say because good leaders know they're not going to be around forever. So if you build this whole thing around you, guess what happens? As soon as you die, whatever you've been standing for goes away leader knows that if you're really going to make an investment in this world and make an impact on it, you've got to invest in people who might outlive you so that the movement that you're a part of, whatever you cause your life to to truly focus on, it can actually outlive you, right? So this is what he says in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. Think about it. Um... I think all of us in this room would say washing feet would be a challenging thing for any of us to do, right? And most of us have got adequate plumbing and body wash and good ventilated socks. But back in Jesus' day, I'm going to tell you, those toes were nasty. Okay, I'm going to be honest. Okay, like that, that was a different level of filth that day. And, uh, you know, they're there they're wearing their. Um, their sandals and walking on dirt roads and probably busted up sores, and calluses, and just dirt everywhere. And uh, I'm I'm not I'm not a big fan of thinking about washing anybody's feet, even in 2023. But back then, I'm just telling you that was a different level of nasty. Okay, especially a bunch of dudes who lived together. Come on, let's be honest. Okay, this just this is not hygiene to its highest level. This is probably a little bit unkept and uh, just a little bit nasty and uh, I was asked. I had to speak at a, at a event on Wednesday night, and they, they wanted to interview the speaker before he started. And they said, "What's one of your pet peeves?" I don't know why. The first thing that came to my mind: feet on the dashboard. I don't know. I just said bothers me. People drive. I don't want to see people's feet on the dashboard. I'm driving by. The thing is nasty. I don't want to want to see it, and especially if the airbag comes out. Your legs will be messed up forever. Okay, I'm just saying. There's just a place for feet. And out of all the things that Jesus could have done, I can't think of a nastier. More submissive, humble, just unthinkable thing to do. Take off his garment, wrap himself with a towel, and begin to wash Peter's feet, who would deny him? Um you think about washing uh Matthew's feet, who probably struggled in those moments about was gonna go back to the Roman Empire or how this was gonna work. Washing the feet of Judas did it. See, um, while having complete authority, Jesus displayed staggering humility. All authority had been given to him. He was the Son of God who, even while he was on the cross, said if he wanted to call down legions of angels right at the snap of his finger, it'd be done. So if he could call down angels, I'd be like, can you send a couple of these angels to wash these guys' feet? Because I ain't doing it, okay? I am not doing this. It's exactly what he did. He went to uh, do something so shocking that uh, they could not understand. First time uh, a moment like this ever happened to me, I was in Tokyo, Japan, um, and the guy who led our team to Japan was an incredible mentor of ours. We got together for a prayer service that night, and he washed our feet. And once again, we we had decent hygiene for college students. We had opportunities to make sure, but it was if this has never happened to you, it's one of the most awkward moments of your life. It's just oh, just hurry up! <laughs> just like it, it's just it it it. You know. Um, out of all the things, and yet he was trying to show to us a bunch of college students the way of Jesus. And so, just like Jesus said, he, he he got down, he took off our shoes, and took off our socks, and inwardly I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, what does he see? What does he smell? What what what, 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 what was he thinking right now? And just humbly, just washes the feet and prays over me. And he and he prayed. Isaiah uh, says that how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. And he says, God, it's my honor to to wash these feet who are walking through the streets of Tokyo and taking your gospel. And I just pray you'd use this man for your glory. One of those humbling moments of my life, and he gets it exactly from the life of Jesus. Now, it was something for for Bob to do that for me, but for Jesus to do this to Peter, right? Think about the difference here. So so what happened? Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing uh, you, you don't realize now, uh, but afterward, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Well, Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Some of Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. <sighs> Jesus says, one who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, "Not all of you are clean." Now, just pause there for a moment. Uh, Peter would be like most of us. This is awkward. If anybody's going to wash feet, Jesus, you can't wash mine. I need to wash yours, and it's not right. And Jesus says, I, "You don't let me do this. You have no part." He goes, "Well, then just wash all over me." He's like, you "Don't, Peter. Shh. I'm going to tell you something, son. Like, if you just keep your mouth closed, you can learn some stuff. Be quiet. Just stop talking. Just embrace this moment." Because what I'm doing for you, I'm expecting you to do to others once I'm gone. This is the way we transform the world, right here. By washing feet, the heart behind it. Yes, this is how we do it. If in this moment to identify with Jesus means to embrace servant leadership, Peter, you're going to need to do this. And so, yes, it's countercultural. Yes, it's counterintuitive. Yes, you never think about the exalted one, humbly himself for the one who's beneath him, but that's exactly how we're going to transform this world. That's exactly what's going to turn this thing around because this world expects the person in position of authority to be the one say, You wash my feet, you serve me, you come to me. And the countercultural way of the kingdom is If you've got all the money in the world and all the people who respect you and honor you, you go to the dark and and depressing places of the world. You go to the least and unlikely. You give yourself because this is the way of Jesus. Peter, if you want anything to do with me, you're going to have to understand you've got to do this. So in verse 12, this is when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Folks, this is what Jesus is teaching. If the greatest was the humblest, there should be nothing beneath us to honor his example. If Jesus could humble Himself from heaven to washing the feet of Peter, you tell me what's too big a jump for you? What's 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 too? Oh, that that would be too degrading to me, too degrading, and the honor in the name of Jesus that would be too degrading. No, there's nothing that's beneath us to honor His example. Jesus even said it this way in matthew chapter 25 whatever you've done to the least of these you've done it unto what me Me, right you've done it unto me so um i just remember um a time in in my life where uh, i remember i was in guatemala on a mission trip and uh there was this little boy there found out his name was angel which is kind of like a um, version of angel if you will and um, and I remember seeing him there, and he kept tripping up over his shoelaces, and uh, tiny little feet. I, I just remember I, I looked over there. I was going to go like help tie his his shoes for a second, and all of a sudden I looked at his face, and his face just had like there was just snot coming all over his face. Just I mean, he just he was just so sick. You tell it. And he goes. And then he just grabbed his shoestrings. I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. Oh, gosh, right? I'm just like, and so he just takes it and he tries to put them in his shoes and and it's not working and he's struggling. And I'm like, Lord, I'd I, I, I tie that kid's shoes, but I, I don't have enough Germanics for that. That is too much right there. And I just remember Matthew 25 just screaming to me. I believe the Spirit of God reminded me, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Travis, would you tie my shoes if I couldn't tie them? Yes, Jesus, I would tie them. How dirty of shoestrings would keep you from doing it? That <laughs> that right there. That, I think, oh. You just bend down and you tie the shoestrings and you say, whatever you do, the least the unlikely, it is a service as if you're doing it to Jesus. And imagine that when Jesus reached down and washed these men's feet, I'm sure he probably had a lot of thoughts as well about what he was getting himself into in verse 16, he says, Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his what? Master. His master. And, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So when we serve, there are a certain type of blessings that the world cannot give, right? Mm-hmm. Status and platform and position, give you certain perks in life, and yet Jesus says, but there's a different type of perks here. That is the blessing that I can provide you if you follow the way of Jesus. Jesus shows that a service lifestyle is full of unexpected blessings. You will be blessed if you live this way. You will be blessed if you lead according to this attitude. Your life will be blessed not in material blessings, not in status, not in position, not in a special parking place. Your blessing is that you get to be a part of what Jesus did. Jesus was the one who wasn't afraid to reach out and touch the leper. Jesus wasn't afraid to have a conversation with the person with a sordid past. Jesus wasn't afraid of the dirty and the depressed and the lonely and the outcast to call him friend. And this is the countercultural, counterintuitive way of Jesus that we've got to honestly make some adjustments if we're going to do so. And so if, if Jesus is kind of the example, right, of leading with humility, what does this look like? Jesus was investing in Peter and the other disciples that night and teaching them, this is what I want you to do as a result, right? So why did that night in Japan, a guy by the name of Bob wash my feet? Because Jesus, Jesus washed Peter's, and apparently Peter washed somebody else's. And that thing passed on the way from Jerusalem all the way to Colorado, to Tokyo, and everywhere in between. Wherever the way of Jesus has been, there's probably been some foot washers along the way, Right? somewhere in there and yeah this is what leadership this is why it's so different compared to what we would understand here in the common understanding of leadership because if leadership is all about in our culture of making people rely on you the wise and the most perfect one to guide them out leadership according to jesus is not just being the guy it's investing in others so that once you're gone the work continues And this is the antithesis of what this world thinks. Investing in others is humility at its finest because you empower others and you multiply yourself. This is what's so shocking about when you invest in others. It is humility at its finest because you empower and you multiply yourself. So the more that you give yourself away, the more that you empower others to be uh, like Jesus... And the more that you multiply yourself in doing things that probably, uh, even beyond and outlive you. Um, I am so thankful that I had an 11-year-old daughter today that skipped church so that she could feed the homeless. Never thought as a pastor I would say that, right? Uh, but Christy Warren and Carmen Dennis set it up where some of the fifth graders went to Project Host uh, today. And so my daughter said... Daddy, how was the sermon? I said, no, it was all right today. She goes, no, it was good. I hate I missed it today, but I'm so glad I went. Well, tell me why are you so glad you went? She started telling me about the conversations that she had with different homeless people who were coming in to get a meal. Now she asked if she could pray for certain ones and do this. And I said, did it make you uncomfortable? She said, no, it really didn't. She said, it made me sad for some of the people. I said, can I pray for you? And they go, no, I'm good. She, she said it would make me sad. She said, I said, did it scare you? She goes, no, it didn't scare me. She said, I just was glad that we could help those people and, and just hoping that maybe something we did today would, would help them go along. Folks, I want you to like be aware, what we're after here at this church is that 11-year-olds are thinking like that. that. That's what we want, right? That to sometimes being a part of the kingdom means you get outside the doors of the church and help somebody who's never going to darken the door of the church and say, we're going to come to you rather than you come to us. Because pride says, clean yourself up, get a job, get a meal, and then come in here, and then we'll tell you about Jesus. The way of Jesus is, you get out in the streets. Amen. You go to the places where they're never going to come to you. Send the 11-year-old girls. Send, send the 50-year-old people. Whatever it is. Like, is, let's go to them and say, we know that this world has forgotten about you, but we haven't. Amen. One of the things that Miss Christie told Gloria that she, that she kept on to really like solid, she said, that she realized that a lot of homeless people in this community are used to people walking past them and refusing to look at them eye to eye and 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 people who are homeless often feel invisible and she said the goal here today is that these people don't feel invisible anymore somebody's got their eyes on them somebody's talking to them somebody's praying for them And folks, I'm just saying, this is what leadership, servant leadership looks like. Not you fix you and come to us. No, we come to you. Because that's the type of empowering that we want to see happen. I'm I'm just so thankful for these leaders who are empowering my daughter to go and do this. And and as they're doing that, they're multiplying. And you start off with an 11-year-old thinking, how do we go out to the the, downtown and help people like that? That multiplies itself. That's not experience to go, check, I'm done with. That changes you. And so with this... This is a different way. Uh, Leadership, once again in this world, does not (laughs) smell like that. Smells quite the opposite. So I would just say if we're gonna follow the way of Jesus, we've got to make sure we know what type of leaders we want to imitate and which examples we want to reject. Is that fair? Uh, Do not emulate any leader or leadership style that esteems pride and mocks humility. Do not do it. You look at anybody, who is a steaming pride reeks of it and mocks humility that is not a leader that i don't care what type of industry you're in or what type of path that you're on do not emulate that that is not the way of jesus and um i was at um goodness gracious uh, a part of different church leadership meetings or whatnot there's from time to time I have to go to Baptist meetings in the, in the city or the state or the National Convict- Convention and sometimes I get really excited about what's going on and sometimes I feel like I need two antacids and I need to get somebody to, to help me through and I can remember one day listen to a pastor that I have respected and I have admired from afar and when he got up to speak his opinion I wanted to vomit because of how much pride was reeking from him. To look at a group of churches and pastors and said, hey, our church doesn't need you, but y'all need us. I literally thought, I'm glad there's a line to that microphone, because if they gave me that microphone, I might not ever be allowed to come back to this meeting right now. Okay, Because it just reeks, reeks of pride. I'm saying that in church, business, leadership, Politics, you find the type of leader that esteems pride and mocks humility. Do not repeat that example. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It is not the way of Jesus. And First John says, "Y'all, I, I, should, I shouldn't have said it this way. I should have done a survey question and, and made a lot of y'all confused. But there's only one Bible, one book in the Bible that uses the word Antichrist. Most people think, oh, it's Revelation. Revelation doesn't use the word Antichrist. I think it speaks of the Antichrist, but it does not use the word. The only book in the Bible that speaks, that uses the word Antichrist is 1 John. And when he says, I know you're thinking the Antichrist is coming, this is what he says, many Antichrists have already come. What? I thought there was one. No, no, there are people who were anti the way of Jesus. And I'm just telling you this, prideful leaders are antichrist. They are not following the way of Jesus. Jesus turns this world on its head by the way that he lived his life. Now, before you get messed up in this, humility in some ways, a lot of times people think, okay, to be humble is you always got to talk bad about yourself. That, that actually can be pride, by the way. Do you know that? Somebody says, you did so good at that. No, 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 it was horrible. Okay, what are you hoping? Somebody's going to say, no, you were great. Robert, keep, keep talking. Okay, like, sometimes what sounds humble is actually prideful, and you're actually looking for other compliments, right? You're looking for other encouragement. You're saying, No, 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 I, I don't have, I'm just a horrible person, right? And like, no, 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 no. I want you to, understand. I read this quote in a book years ago, and I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it was Andrew Murray who said this, but it says it this way Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You see the difference there? It's not thinking I'm a horrible person and just thinking down to yourself. Now, I'll be honest, I am a horrible person. I got issues. I really, I, I'm, when I say that, I'm apart from Christ, there is no good. Psalm 16 says it this way. Preserve me, O God, for I have taken refuge in you. I said to the Lord, I have no good besides you. Okay? So there is good happening in my life right now and from time to time, I get some good stuff that happens. But can I tell you where that comes from? It's the Lord. Okay? So, uh, so, if you, I mean, so if there's something that you see, I go, okay, praise the Lord, that, that's from Him. But humility is not always downplaying uh, yourself, always talking ill of yourself. Humility is just this. Stop thinking about you. Get your mind off of yourself. That's the first step to humility. And you go, well, who else am I going to think about? Anybody other than you, right? Humility is, let me decrease so that God, Christ, may increase. Humility is, we start thinking about my needs and start thinking about everybody else's needs. That's what humility is about, and that's what leadership should be about. Christians should never point to themselves as the solution to anything, okay? We're not the solution to anything. It's Christ in us that is the solution to all things that we see as broken in this world, but we're not the leader that this world is waiting on. It's Jesus, Jesus even said in Matthew 23, uh, some of you are called leaders. You don't need to be called leaders. Some of you are called teachers. You don't need to be called teacher. There's only one leader. There's only one teacher. There's only one Lord. He is Jesus Christ. And for that, we should be pointing to ourselves. We should be pointing to Christ. And so as you think about it, uh, if leadership is advancing your agenda and making things better for you and climbing the stair step of ladder success, whatever you may be after in your life, I would just say this. Making all decisions based on how it affects you positively is not the Christ-like way. Jesus, at the height of his leadership, made the decision that was detrimental to himself. Right? But, But incredibly beneficial to all the rest of us. The cross of Jesus, if Jesus was thinking of himself, would have never happened. Right? If he was about protecting himself we would never know the way to salvation jesus said no to himself so that he could say yes to us right and if we're going to follow his example sometimes sometimes we've got to make our decisions to say it's not about how it affects me positively i might even have to be affected negatively but if that's for the benefit of others and for the glory of god i'm willing to go there think about a scenario for a moment Positional leaders missing humility. Have you ever known someone who had the title of a leader, but you wouldn't follow unless you had to? Right? Um, (laughs) I said this at one point, and uh, I I think I had posted something on social media one time. If you have to always remind people you're the leader, you're not. (laughs) And a mom took offense to of that because she was always saying, you better tell my kids I'm in charge here okay well, if you have to tell your four-year-old that you're always in charge, you're not okay that little girl she's in charge or whatever like so, so so at some level, a lot of times people can kind of think, I've got this position so therefore you have to follow me, serve me, listen to me. But the scenario that can be in, in, in any area in life and, and I just want you to think about this tonight as we get ready to leave that some people can achieve certain statuses and yet the, the old preacherism says their talent took them to a position that their character couldn't keep them. Their talent got them a certain position, but their character couldn't keep them there. So, um, you just go into my world for an example. I, I would shudder to begin to even start listening to you. The name of pastors, and, and people that have led out in church and Christian kind of movements over the last few years who have taken a strong fall, public fall, devastating fall, like bodies everywhere, just messy, nasty stuff. And if you start digging deep into every single one of those situations, you know what happened? They started to believe their own hype. They, they started to believe their own hype. That You know what? That's right. I have changed all these people's lives. And you know what this church is? Because I'm so good and so talented. And these people are relying on me. And the moment that somebody checked them, right? The moment somebody pushed back a little bit, it was, how dare you? Right? How dare you oppose me? And if you have a position of leadership and you are unwilling to hear and heed somebody's confrontation, you might need to consider, am I truly somebody who is a servant leader or... Am I a leader so that others may serve me? This aspect of missing humility, um, humility, by the way, is one of those things, um, or I would say pride, it's one of those things that's so easy to see in others and hard to detect in us. Is it not? Easy to see in others. Oh, that's horrible. I can't believe so-and-so is prideful. And yet you go, oh, no, I'm not prideful. Okay. I actually um, had to confront somebody that I love, a brother recently, and said, I I see something in your life and I just kind of want to shoot straight. I'm seeing some pride and some arrogance in the way that you're doing these things. The response is not exactly what I hope to hear when the person says, I don't have an ounce of pride or arrogance in my body. Okay, here you go, right? If you say you don't have an ounce, that probably means you got more ounces in it than you think you do, right, okay? The reality is this. Every single one of us has some ounces of pride in us, right? It's what's gotten us into trouble that we've gotten into, right? I think I know better. I think I can fix it. I can straighten this thing out. But deep down, even the greatest of leaders are someone who humble themselves before the Lord and humble themselves willing to serve others. So you go, okay, well, how I exert my leadership this week? Well, it's not by making it about you. It can't start there. It never will. Your family, job, and church would benefit if you esteemed humility more than you do. Can I just say that? Your family would love a more humble version of yourself, okay? Your job would benefit by a more humble version of yourself. This church would put you on a plaque and give you a special parking place if you're... I'm just joking, okay? But you see what I'm saying, right? This church would benefit... Not by, hey, listen to me, I'm the one who's got, but by, by humility. And so I go back to the words of Jesus before we pray, who says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. Now, tonight. I am not saying I'm requiring everybody to go back to the place of your residence and start washing every feet that you come into contact with, okay? Maybe you need to, right? Something like a foot rub would be just fine. Okay, like maybe you need to. Um, and while there is a practical level that something is so tangible, I think really does something to your heart, um, I think Jesus did this foot washing um, in the same way that he gave the Lord's Prayer, Okay? Um, I've known churches and pastors and different ministries who said, and as the Lord taught us to pray, and they recite the Lord's prayer, right? Our Father, who art in heaven. And we all say it kind of monotone, and we repeat it. Well, I think that's great. I don't think Jesus was saying, every time you pray, repeat after me. I think what he was saying is, every time you pray, repeat my heart. Get what I'm trying to pray about, and let this be the template for your prayers. I think that Jesus, when he washed the feet, was saying, hey, this is a good example of and be a practical way for you to really show this to somebody in your life. But if you only <laughs> say that you can serve somebody by washing feet, you're going to have some awkward situations in your life, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. But the attitude, the heart can be displayed tonight, right? You don't have to be first. You don't have to be right. You don't have to push your way. You can lead by influence and not by force and coercion. You can be a countercultural agent in your home, in your job tomorrow, in your church, in any place that you go. If you say, "I'm not going to make this about me," but I am going to humble myself, and the scriptures on repeats is this way: If you exalt yourself, God will do what? Humble you. But if you humble yourself, God will do what? Exalt you. So God is basically saying this you can humble yourself or God will do it for you. And I would just say this It's better if you decide to do that on your own initiative Because when God does it, it's a little bit rougher sometimes is it not? So father tonight May we Look at the example of Jesus Who is the greatest leader this world has ever seen and was humble enough to wash feet which he shouldn't have had to do and yet he chose to do because of his humility and if he could humble himself son of God leaving heaven for earth to put himself in a servant role to wash the dirtiest part of these disciples but then even go further to go to a cross of which he did not deserve God what is beneath us this world does not need more people expecting others to serve them. We need right here, right now, to be people who are willing to do the dirty tasks, to go to the least and the unlikely, and to do whatever is necessary so that the way of Jesus can be seen. So Christ, come alive in us and help us to be people who are so countercultural in the way that we serve, that your influence is seen through us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.